Caitlin. My name is Marisol. And we're students at NKU's Honors College. Let's talk a bit about food. You eat it every day, but do you ever think about how it got to your plate, how you picked the food that you picked, what's in your food, and where it goes when you're done with it? Let's take a deep dive into diving right now, starting with food before it's, well, food. Okay, so to start off, I guess we'll start in the early 1900s. We're going to talk about first um, someone named Upton Sinclair. Um, he was born in uh, 1878 in Baltimore. He ends up moving to New York City and attends Columbia University where he ultimately becomes a writer. So during this time, Chicago is one of the largest meatpacking industry. So it's like getting huge. Workers started going on strike and the reason that they did this was because they were wanting better like working conditions and better wages. So Sinclair being like a writer, wanting inspiration, goes to Chicago to write about it. Um, so while he's there, he starts interviewing people, kind of getting their point of view, seeing about like the conditions and everything and the reason why people were going on strike. Mm -hmm. So he ends up writing this book called The Jungle, which is pretty known. And it really is about just an immigrant from Lithuania named Jurgis Rudkis, who actually starts working at a meatpacking company as a shoveler of guts is pretty much what it is. <laughs> job was so he quickly starts seeing the things that go on inside the company or like his job so we're gonna read an expert from the book because I thought it was pretty interesting mm -hmm. so the book says there was never the least attention paid to what was cut up for sausage there would come there would come all the way back from Europe old sausages that had been rejected and that was moldy and white. It would be dosed with borax, which mm. is a white powder made from boric acid. It's typically used in detergents, flame retardants, and disinfectants, so not really for food. Yeah, um, <laughs> And glycerine, which is a chemical compound used in foods and medicines. And it, all of this was dumped into the hoppers, which was the containers for mixing, and made over again for home consumption. There would be meat that had tumbled out on the floor and the dirt and sawdust where the workers had trammed and spit. Uh, there would be meat stored in great piles in rooms and water from leaky roofs would drip over it and thousands of rats would race about on it. Yeah. It was too dark in these storage places to actually see well, but a man could run his hands over these piles of meat and sweep off handfuls of dried dung of rats. Ew. These rats were nuisance, and the packers would put poison bread out for them. The rats would die, and then rats, bread, and meat ultimately would go into the hoppers together. So gross. <laughs> and meatpacking places are not pleasant <laughs> under the cleanest of conditions. So uh, another expert says that there was no place for the men or the workers like to wash their hands Ew. before they ate their dinner, and so they made a practice of washing them in the water that was to be ladled into oh the sausage. <laughs> Some of it they would make into, like, smoked sausage, but as the smoking took time and was therefore expensive, they would call upon their chemistry department and preserve it with borax and color it with gelatin to make it brown. Oh, my goodness. So really giving that sweet... Yeah. I used sweet. to be a chemistry major, and boy, listening to the things <laughs> that people did in the mid-1800s. So the interesting <laughs> thing about this book is that it's actually fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no Jurgis Redkiss. Right. But the book actually went, like, wild, and it sold, and, uh, like, the sales rocketed. It was uh, put in 17 different languages. Mm -hmm. So this stirred a lot of, obviously, public outrage, and so President Roosevelt ends mm -hmm. up inviting um, Upton Sinclair to a discussion, and he ends up sending a special commission to investigate the companies, mm -hmm. and they end up confirming, for the most part, 
pretty much all the conditions that Sinclair wrote about yeah. the company. Oh my goodness. And like meeting with the president was like, like it's a huge deal now, but like I feel like people don't really care or just watch it on TV. But presidents were like rock stars back then because I mean, yeah. like they were just, it was just such a big thing to be invited to the White House and get the ear of the president and then have that kind of stuff like taken action on. Exactly. I bet Sinclair didn't really, like that wasn't his main like goal was to go meet the president. I'm sure it wasn't. And he sparked this whole movement of muckraking, which is basically yes. investigated journalism. Like, because yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so from this, uh, 1906, we get the Pure Food and Drug Act, which pretty much banned the sale of mislabeled food and drugs in interstate commerce. So this law eventually leads to the Federal Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, which mm-hmm. everyone knows about, yeah. which is responsible for pretty much regulating and pretty much everything like humans consume as well as like cosmetics mm-hmm. and yeah. different things. So this is pretty much kind of sets like the F- like the FDA, like I said, everyone is even now, like, still mm-hmm. useful for everything yeah. that we, like, humans I mean, it's consume. one of the biggest bodies of the government today, it's, and it's, I feel like it's always in the news because, I mean, food is just, like, such a huge part of our lives, right. and <laughs> making it safe is important. Yeah, it's very important. So, <laughs> from there, the food, or, like, the meatpacking industry was, like, I guess, grew. Yeah. Um, so... It, now we're going to talk about consumer psychology, mm-hmm. which honestly, like sometimes you don't even think about it. Like no, as you're walking around the not. store, you know, <laughs> but there's a lot of things that go into kind of the way that stores are arranged. And mm-hmm. one of them is the rearrangement of items. So yeah. I don't know if you have like, for example, you have like your set store that you buy groceries in. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be Walmart, it could be mm-hmm. Kroger, it could be Target, <laughs> either one of those stores. Uh, you know, if you go there pretty much uh, more often than any other store, you pretty much have like everything memorized of where your materials are so you know as you're trying to go to the store you have a list Mm -hmm. and you're like you know what you're going there for like you're Mm -hmm. like okay I only need two things Mm -hmm. um and then boom you walk into the store and everything else is like rearranged yeah so rearrangement of items causes like a distraction Mm -hmm. making you browse through different items and maybe even adding more things into your cart than what you intended so if you're like trying to find the pasta and you know exactly where the pasta's at but like they're rearranging you got to go to like different shelves and that makes you look at more things Mm -hmm. and it appeals to you and so sometimes you end up leaving with more things that you actually want color attraction is also a very Mm -hmm. one that is used the university of southern california looked at trends among shoppers in 2015 and they actually ended up finding uh different trends so Mm -hmm. like i mentioned color red is like attention grabbing yeah purple is wealth or quality Blue encourages a sense of responsibility, which I thought was pretty interesting. Brown conveys a relaxed state. Gold mimics the color of fat and actually, like, produces hunger. Mm -hmm. Uh, Black is, like, elegant and sophisticated. Mm -hmm. White is low-calorie and pure. And then yellow is, like, energy. And so based on these colors of, like, boxes, you know, I've always been told, like, don't go to a grocery store hungry. Oh, my God, I do that all the time. <laughs> no, it's a mistake, and it's something that I need to stop, but, like, it's like it's true. Yeah, I know. It's so bad. I'm like, I'll pop in here and get some lunch, and then I leave with, like, armfuls of stuff, and I'm like, okay, this is wonderful. Yeah. I'm so glad. <laughs> the pop of color grabs your attention. Yeah, uh, it definitely does. And so then also location is uh-huh. important. So most people... I guess the end of the aisles are places where many customers look at. Yeah. Um, And the best of all is when they're placed at, like, your eye level. Mm -hmm. So manufacturers actually pay 
for their products to get put in that place because mm-hmm. they know like that's where customers look at. Yeah. Um, and also wording is very important. There are certain words like the word fat-free, mm-hmm. sugar-free, yeah, organic, <laughs> fresh. Um, apparently like when they like spray the vegetables with water, it's mm-hmm. d- like done to make it look fresh. Yeah. So people will like... I've seen that a lot. I yeah. see non-GMO too, especially mm. like non-GMO on like banana products, which bananas are inherently GMOs. So it's like... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and then labeling is also important because a lot of people will kind of look at the labels to compare which product to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes people, 64% of people read labels, but they mm-hmm. don't really understand it. Right. So with just a simple wording of like seeing organic, they're like, okay, this one must be better. Yeah. Or even the color. Like for example, like white, low calorie mm-hmm. and pure. Yeah. I don't know, for me, like my brain, that's like my brain um, understands that, that like yeah. white is pure or whatever. Yeah. Um, so labeling and wording is very important. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing is checkout items. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're done paying uh, or when, before you're like going to pay, yeah. there's like a bunch of little usually chocolate or gum or chips (laughs) or drinks and it's like you know one won't hurt uh especially on your drive back right yeah definitely I remember my parents like I can never buy anything from like the ends of checkout lanes because my parents would always like you know smack my hand away and be like (laughs) no 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 we have food at home (laughs) exactly it's so that is like kind of like one of the last things that stores do to kind of like get you to spend more money than you want (laughs) So at that point, you know, you've left already with, like, a few more things that you intended. Yeah. But point is, you got your groceries, and you're Mm -hmm. on your way home. Yeah. So now it's time to dig in. Let's talk about what's in our food, though, because I'm sure um, even though most consumers read labels, they don't necessarily pay attention to that big white box on the back that tells you what's inside because we'd rather not think about it. But, um... One big thing that I want to talk about is sugar, because sugar, like, the rest of the world is always making fun of America for our food, and it is chock full of sugar. So, everybody knows what sugar is. Everybody knows that sugar causes cavities. Sugar is gives you that nasty energy high and mm-hmm. then the crash. So, what is actually a good amount of sugar to eat? Well, the World Horth... World Horth... <laughs> The World Health Organization um, recommends that people eat no more than 5 to 10 teaspoons or 20 to 40 grams of sugar per day for the average adult, which that's based on your average energy intake. So in America, the FDA says, oh, you know, you should eat about 2,000 calories a day. Um, The World Health Organization says that no matter what your energy intake is, sugar should be no more than 10% of Mm. what you eat. So for other age groups like children, it's obviously going to be lower because they need less food um, to eat. The FDA, on the other hand, has set the daily value, which is basically our set of recommendations for what and how much we should eat. Um, They've set that at 50 grams of sugar, which is, you know, 10 more grams than that upper bound of the World Health Organization. Mm -hmm. And that's for everybody. There is no, like, you know, discernment between age groups or anything like that. So for reference, this, I mean, nobody knows what 50 grams is unless you're in the sciences, right? (laughs) So it's like, for reference, one can of regular Pepsi has about 41 grams of sugar, which is 82% of your daily value in that one little can. And some people drink pop multiple times a day. Most people on NKU get a big pop to go with their food, and that has even more sugar, because this is a regular can. Mm -hmm. But that's, like, very easy nowadays to get, like, a pop. 
Especially and, with, like, vending machines. Yeah, and there. you get free refills as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, you know, why buy a, wa- a bottle of water when you can't refill that? You can refill the pops, right. though, as many times as you yeah. want for as long as you're in the SU, especially if you're studying or something I, like exactly. that. <laughs> yeah, there's something about, like, studying where you're like, I need a drink. I know, like, and you're, like, snacking. or like, I have to and be you, sipping on something. Yeah, <laughs> you just don't, like, pay attention to it at all. But... Yeah, that's, like, a lot, a lot of sugar. And that's 103% of the World Health Organization's upper bound. And you really shouldn't be hitting that upper bound because that's not really good. So, I mean, okay, so that's a Pepsi. I don't don't drink pop, personally. I drink Mm. water. So I'm chilling, I'm sure. (laughs) But (laughs) let's take a look at our Thanksgiving meals because I don't know when you're listening to this. But for me and Marisol, we just celebrated Thanksgiving. Yes, we did. So... Let's go out to Honey Baked Ham. Let's eat high on the hog today. <laughs> so a slice of Honey Baked Ham has six grams of sugar, which is fine, I guess. That's not that much. That's only 12% of your daily value, uh, although I say that, and that sounds terrible. Uh, <laughs> but um, Let's get some sweet potato casserole because that's always a classic. We slap those marshmallows on top, and that brings us up to 23 grams of sugar, which is not good but that's fine uh let's eat some healthy green beans which is two grams of sugar which isn't terrible Mm -hmm. let's have a roll which is four grams let's have a slice of pecan pie because you can't skip dessert on thanksgiving and that's 29 grams of sugar so in case you're not counting at home that's a total of 58 grams of sugar and 42 of those grams are added to the food that you're eating so they weren't there originally um and then if you add a pepsi to that yeah if you add a yeah i didn't even add a drink drink. on here and like this is all taken from the online honey baked ham menu so Mm. this and this is one meal i don't think you're just eating thanksgiving dinner on thanksgiving but at that point you've reached almost 100 (laughs) right and it's like things like the green beans the roll and the ham are not you know they don't seem like a lot but they sure do add up i mean that's 13 grams of sugar which Mm -hmm. is 26 percent or a quarter of what you're supposed to eat and um i mean we look at added sugars as well like that dinner roll had four grams of sugar but three grams of sugar were added that Mm -hmm. you didn't need that's six percent you could have knocked off by not having that added sugar so i mean we definitely have a huge culture problem in america (laughs) where like we don't we don't think about that we just eat out i mean how many times have you seen on a menu where it's, like, nutrition information available from our website, and then you don't look? Because, like, who has, who, I don't know, like, no yeah. one really, like, would go into their online website and, like, look that up. Right, yeah, it's just a bunch of extra steps, and you don't really want to think about it. It's, Mm-mm. I mean, it's exactly. better not to think about you mm-hmm. eating, you know, 116% of your daily value of sugar mm-hmm. in one go. <laughs> so, I mean, let's talk about why that is, because... You might not know it, but a lot of effort in the United States goes into hiding how much sugar goes into your food. Um, Most Americans don't know how much a gram is. I mean, we don't Mm. use the metric system. However, our very, very strong feelings on that are. (laughs) But um, Americans just don't know what a gram is. So why would we, you know, put all this important information in grams, right? right? Um, Well, sugar and related industries, which... Corn is a big one because we make corn syrup, which has a lot of sugar in it. Um, They frequently and powerfully lobby the FDA to um, 
basically not require sugar to be in tablespoons, which is a measurement that most people understand. Mm -hmm. Not me, because I'm a scientist and that's right. what I grew up with, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it would still be useful for the vast majority of Americans. And um, I mean, certain industries have sent letters to the FDA, like stating that, you know, um, tablespoons prejudice people against their food or something like that, because when you understand what you're eating, you can understand like how unhealthy that is. When I said 50 grams of sugar is how much you should be eating in a day, you were like, okay, because that number doesn't mean anything to you. Right. But one can of Pepsi having 41 grams in it, that meant something to you because right. you know what a can of Pepsi right, is. Right, you can visualize it. Right, so it's like these companies put a lot of work into making sure that you can't visualize what you're mm -hmm. eating and therefore you'll continue to buy their product because you don't know how unhealthy it is. So additionally, on top of that, um, since the mid-1900s, companies that either produce sugar or produce sugar-heavy products, like our dear old Coca-Cola and Pepsi companies, mm. um, have used their resources to fund um, scientists and different um, organizations to hide um, studies into the effects of sugar. So I know everybody knows about fat being super bad for you. Well, part of that you know, prejudice against fat, even though fat can be bad, is because, you know, companies like Coca-Cola, you know, push scientists to be like, hey, why not take the heat off of sugar for a minute and look into fat and blame that for all these, like, heart mm -hmm. health problems, all these teeth problems, mm -hmm. instead of sugar. So it's kind of like, right. a, there's a lot of layers to this. And I mean, Coca-Cola, or Coca-Cola. <laughs> Coca-Cola. Yeah, Coca-Cola is the biggest culprit of that. Um, they have weaseled their way into all kinds of uh, important decision-making bodies. The World Health Organization, who I cited earlier, has been known to have um, some people accepting some moolah from uh -huh. Coca-Cola in it and making regulations that are a little bit more friendly to sugar than we'd like. Um, they've also made their way into the CDC, into Harvard, into um, the FDA even. So the corruption runs deep because their pockets are deep, basically. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty dire situation. But, I mean, fine. That's depressing. That's annoying. Um, but we're done. We ate it. We ate our honey-baked ham meal. It was delicious. It was wonderful. And now it's time to throw out all that garbage. But what happens with all that garbage? Like, do we actually need to throw out everything that we throw out? And the answer, as you're probably guessing, is no. no. <laughs> yeah. So the USDA um, defines food waste as the edible amount of food post-harvest that is available for human consumption but is not consumed for any reason at all. Hmm. Whether that's because you're like, well, I don't like the look of it. I guess I could eat it, but I'm going to throw it away. Or mm -hmm. whether it just isn't eaten so, like, when you cut off the top of a tomato and you have little parts of a tomato mm -hmm. left along with the stem and you throw that right. away, like that's still food waste. Um, so the United States estimates that anywhere from 30 to 40 percent of all food produced in the United States is just thrown away, completely that's, wasted. That's <laughs> yeah, it's a ton of food. And it's like we have so many hungry people who could be mm. using that food. So why doesn't it get to them? Um, so this totals to around 108 billion pounds of food, <laughs> which is a lot of food. Yeah. For reference, there are about 300 million people in the United States. Off the top of my head, I don't know if that's mm -hmm. still accurate. But um, 
we produce that amount of food waste annually. So that's every single so year. <laughs> yeah, we're throwing away 108 billion pounds of food every year. So it also makes up 22% of all landfill waste in America, which is an insane amount. We're always running out of landfill waste, and we always need more because we throw away a lot of stuff that isn't mm. just food. Um, so as for the household, individual households and consumers like you and me, throw away about 39% of that 30 to 40% of food that we throw away, which isn't that much, mm. kind of, right. <laughs> but it's still a lot. Um, a lot of that waste comes from people, you know, like I said, being concerned about the looks of their produce or throwing away stuff that's past its best by date, which something some people don't necessarily know is that best by dates have no, like, basis in U.S. food regulation. The only two things in the United States that have to have best by dates or guaranteed, like, quality dates mm-hmm. are infant formula and medicine. Mm-hmm. Everything else is just, like, the manufacturing going like uh i don't know i guess if you eat it before this day it should be fine right so like a suggestion type of thing <laughs> yeah it's okay. just like a suggestion they're basically saying like well i i think it'll be good before this date but after that i don't really know and i can't really tell you mm. might be good might not be <laughs> right because they just slap a random date on there like <laughs> right and most people are like okay well i don't really want to pay for this three dollar box of one day old macaroni mm-hmm. with you know, a night full of throwing up or being generally sick. So people just don't take the chance and they throw it away. Um, Commercial uses make up about 61% of that same figure. So a lot of of grocery stores are known for throwing away produce before we even have a chance to look at it. Um, People just see, like, you know, imperfect produce that might have bruises or might not be the right color or whatever and they just throw it away because it's not worth cleaning it's not worth packaging it's not worth any of that because it's not going to sell people right yeah people just don't want it when i was reading art like i was reading the article when i was like looking into this where it said like they put the most perfect like produce on the top Mm -hmm. and then the bruised ones in the bottom because that doesn't really sell but the end when it's like everything like all the top uh, vegetables have been taken mm-hmm. and the bottom ones are left and people are like mm, and then that's when they're like take them out yeah people just like don't want anything imperfect and i mean i guess that makes sense when you have a choice of 100 right. peaches in a bin you are going to take only the best one like for your need fresh ones right and yeah. i mean if you're walking past the store display and there's only you know one watermelon left and it's all like beat up or discolored mm-hmm. or whatever you're just going to walk on by it and you're right. not going to buy it But, I mean, that watermelon's not going to sell, and it's going to get thrown away, even though somebody could have eaten it, Mm -hmm. even if that person isn't you. Um, So what can we do with all this waste? Because, boy, do we have a lot of it. It has to go somewhere. (laughs) Right. So there are a couple of things that we can do. Um, Most grocery stores actually won't – most grocery stores and restaurants, I should say, actually won't donate their leftover and wasted food – because they think that they can get sued if someone someone gets yes. sick. Yeah. I've seen videos on social media where mm-hmm. people will, like, post, like... For example, I've seen so many of Dunkin' Donuts where people... Workers will, like, mm-hmm. you know, just throw away their donuts. And be, and then, like, the comments will be like, you know, like, why don't you give these to people? Yeah. It's like, well, because we're not allowed to. Right, yeah. And, I mean, there is... There are actually laws in the United mm-hmm. States that protect people f- who donate um, as long as you donate it without like oh ho ho I'm gonna get all these people sick like as long mm-hmm. as you donate it with good intention and you you know genuinely didn't know you're not trying to poison people 
you're fine. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't be sued. You can't receive any kind of, like, punishment for that because you did it out of the goodness of your heart. And it's important to be protected from that litigation. But, I mean, most companies just don't want to take the risk regardless. So even if it's not, you know, illegal, it'll be a company policy. It'll be a franchisee policy. So... I mean, it's just this misconception that something bad's going to happen to you if you try to help someone, which, you know, businesses exist to make money, mm-hmm. so they're not going to take any risk to their bottom line, something that would like hurt that. Them, <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. So, I mean, apart from that, we can do the usual things, which is food can be composted, or if mm-hmm. you analyze this um, food overproduction, because obviously we're producing too much food if we're throwing away 30 to 40% of it. Okay. So if we find better ways to use it, then we can just justify cuts in production overall so that we just have less waste overall. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, think about the meat industry. The meat industry throwing away 30 to 40 percent of what it produces, that's 30 to 40 percent. Yeah, that's 30 to 40 percent of animals that you didn't have to kill, which is yikes. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, just, like, analyzing our usage patterns and finding more efficient ways to get rid of this waste would be amazing for us. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, why don't we do that? Well, it's not profitable. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, donations are, by definition, donations. You don't get anything for them. Mm -hmm. It's not profitable. It costs money to truck food away. It costs money to distribute food. It costs money to package food. So you can't really put that much money into something that you're giving away for free because you're not making any of that money back. It's cheaper to just chuck it in the landfill because a lot of times companies have existing contracts with, like, trash companies like Rumpke around here. So it's no extra cost for them to just, you know, throw that in the bin. But it is extra cost for them to set up means of transportation and, you know, refrigeration or keeping things fresh or keeping it from Mm -hmm. breaking and transport so that's why people don't do that (laughs) so all in all we've finished our rather depressing grocery trip (laughs) we have discovered some of the darker sides of u.s food production and now that leaves us in the present day now you'll know this when you drink pepsi because i know i will yeah yeah (laughs) you'll definitely think about that but I mean, all I can say is get out there and put this information to use (laughs) because just like our wasted food, if nobody uses it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, well, (laughs) there's no use for it. Yeah. So thank you very much for listening. Once again, I'm Caitlin. And I'm Marisol. And we thank you, or we hope you have a great day. (laughs)